0: M.
1: S. W. Media. I'm Greg Oliar. Four years ago, I stopped writing novels to report on the crimes of Donald Trump and his associates. In 2018, I wrote a best-selling book about it, Dirty Rubles. In 2019, I launched Prevail, a bi-weekly column about Trump and Putin, spies and mobsters, and so many traitors! Trump may be gone, but the damage he wrought will take years to fully understand. Join me and a revolving crew of contributors and guests as we try to make sense of it all. This is Prevail. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich, and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity to serve as attorney general at this critical time is a calling i am honored and eager to answer
2: so yeah now it's clean up on aisle 45 time and for a long while yet it is going to be clean up on aisle 45.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the officially not on Spotify podcast. Woo! Clean up on aisle 45, (laughs) or at least we've put in for the request. It depends on how backed up Spotify is with removing (laughs) other people's podcasts. If you're listening
3: to this on Spotify, uh, don't do that.
0: (laughs) Yes, there's plenty of other places to listen to us. This is episode 56 for Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me, as usual, is Andrew Torres.
3: Always a pleasure. And of course, uh, before we uh, do anything else, we want to thank our new and returning patrons. So a big thank you to Kate Kiorsis, Prospective Penguin, Derek R. Kentrop, Stephen Bowden, the mighty aardvark of the wonderful tongue, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Kyle, Kyle Esposito. That's a different Kyle, right? philly basement bar welcomes both oa and aisle 45 live show 2020 x pandemic permitting you pick what's on tap yeah you're damn right we will uh it's about hashtag godlesky damn time we got rid of ronnie johnson message not approved by at sarah for wisconsin
0: nice good plug nice and also thanks to perfidious pete wasn't kidding about the spotify thing Thank you. Jamie Barnett, Stephanie Lynch, Paula Howen, Amber Cunningham, Jan, or Jan, I don't know if it's a soft J, yogging I don't know, <laughs> Renee Z, Jacqueline Selfridge, Singing in the Rain Indictments, Nice. <laughs> Justin Huff, and Scott Hammond. Are these all new patrons?
3: Yeah, all new yeah. patrons from the last week. So. And
0: thank you all so much. And thanks also, I don't know if you're, if this is happening on OA, but it's happening on The Beans and Muller She Wrote. All these new patrons, every, I guess everyone who was kind of on the fence about whether or not to to uh, pledge support us uh, is, is now because it, because we're pulling the stuff off Spotify and you know it's a little bit of a risk. But we thank you so much. You know, you literally make this show possible. If you want to hear your name, plus get the ad free version of the show, plus goodies like Zoom hangouts where we sometimes do pub trivia. <laughs> um,
3: that was so much fun <laughs> with uh,
0: with uh, you know with both of us and uh, all the bonus stuff. You can do that at patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod and sign up for as little as a buck an episode. Woo. And now uh,
3: on with the show.
0: All right. So. <clears throat> all right. It was all happy at first. Yeah. <laughs> the show. We can't
3: have nice things forever. <laughs> we can't. It seems breaking news
0: <laughs> on Monday. The shadow docket in the case of Merrill V. Kester, the Supreme Court, by a 5-4 vote, reinstated the Republican gerrymandered map in Alabama based on race. That packs African-Americans into a single one of Alabama's seven congressional districts and then cracks the rest, diluting black votes across six districts that range from R plus 32 to, and I swear to God, I'm not making this up, R plus <laughs> 65. I don't
3: think I've seen that in a district before. So quick, quick math before we get to how atrocious the Supreme Court is. Um, African-Americans are 27 percent of the population in Alabama. Alabama has seven congressional districts. Two sevenths would be 28 percent. Right. So basically, this gerrymandering is cutting black representation in half in Alabama, or I I should say keeping black representation at about half of what you might expect for Minimal fairness. So look, look, no one is saying Alabama is a blue or a purple state, but these one and two vote riggings over time, over 20 deep red states add up.
0: They really do. Uh, And 10 days ago, a three judge panel, the kind that are specially assembled under the Voting Rights Act, (laughs) determined that this map likely violated the Voting Rights Act, right? Section two by discriminating against African-Americans. The panel ordered Alabama to draw a new map. Now, Justice I Like Beer makes a big deal of how the primary is seven weeks away, but maybe he's just too drunk to know that it isn't 1987 anymore yeah. with the right software and uh, any any one of our listeners could redraw Alabama's congressional maps in the time it takes you to listen to this show. Uh, states way bigger than Alabama have completed official full redistricting maps in two weeks.
3: Yeah, so... Let's be clear about the procedural history here, because that helps explain why this is on the rightfully criticized shadow docket. So the district court panel's injunction required that the map be redrawn and enjoined the legislature against using it in the upcoming primary, for which voting begins on March 30th. That's how you get the seven weeks. So what this Supreme Court decision does is a grant certiorari before judgment of any intervening court. Right. We're going to put a pin in that. And B, strike down the injunction so they can use the old map, right? So while you can definitely complete a redistricting map in seven weeks, you definitely can't brief argue and get a decision on the merits from the Supreme Court in seven weeks. So by definition, this map will be in place during the primaries, which will then be used to justify its use in the 2022 general election. So this is one more seat could go to an African-American candidate will not. So all of that happens based on this procedural ruling, which is not a ruling on the merits. Without the Supreme Court saying that the district court got it wrong or right, they're not weighing in on that. Usually when you don't weigh in on it, you don't um, overturn their explicit findings. But that's effectively what this does.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a shatter docket ruling. And Kavanaugh doesn't like being called out on that or beer. (laughs) Though he wrote a separate concurrence, just because, to grant the relief to criticize, and let me quote here, quote, the principal dissent, that Justice Kagan, uh, quote, catchy but worn out rhetoric about the shadow docket, (laughs) unquote, Uh, by my count, this is the only uh, second time, second time she's used the term, so me thinks Brett protests too much. Uh, and although does he have does he have a history of, of really protesting too much to stuff? I mean, you know, he's he's pretty easygoing. <laughs> uh, and, and this, in fact, uh, is what the criticism of the shadow docket is all about, right? The Supreme Court just stripped black voters in Alabama of a hard-won victory under the Voting Rights Act in front of a three-judge panel specifically convened by law to evaluate these kinds of cases, and they did so without oral argument. Don't want to hear the merits. Don't care what your argument is. Uh, Without anything other than five right-wing justices deciding to substitute their will for that three-judge panel.
3: Yeah, reading Kavanaugh's dissent is like watching the Twilight Zone, right? Like (laughs) courts, (laughs) it is. Courts are supposed to defer to lower courts on the facts, and here the lower court uh, followed longstanding precedent uh, that that's been set forth in a 1986 Supreme Court case called Thornburg versus Jingles, right? They heard a week's worth of testimony from 17 witnesses. They reviewed a thousand pages of briefing alone, right? Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of pages of exhibits before coming to their conclusion that the opinion was so bulletproof that it, it led. Drum roll, drum yeah, roll, please. <laughs> Chief Justice John Roberts, no friend of election gerrymandering claims, mind you to write a separate dissent that essentially says, uh, what the hell, guys? Um, r- Roberts, intentionally or unintentionally, really cast light on the game here. He, he notes r- rather dryly that, quote, Jingles and its progeny have engendered considerable disagreement and uncertainty. That's code for it. The right wing doesn't like it. Right? And that's what makes this a shadow docket case, right? Look, if the court wanted to consider whether to continue its sweeping activist mandate and overturn Jingles, uh, it, Like, that'd be bad. We would call them out for it. That's what they're doing, you know, with Roe versus Wade. It's what they're doing all over the place. But at least do so after briefing, right? At least give the lawyers on the other side a chance at oral argument. At least pretend like you care about the law uh, and do so on the merits. Um, By the way, that is all the Roberts dissent says, right? It says, I would have granted certain this case. And, you know, by the way, I'm not sure how... you know, down I am for maintaining jingles. So don't get swept up if you see, again, the media reports cranking out about, you know, how much John Roberts is moving left. It isn't. It is that that the rest of the court is accelerating so far to the right that, uh, you know, Roberts staying in place looks yeah. like he's, he's moving he, left.
0: Yeah, he's just sitting still. The rest of the court yeah. is going batshit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't point out Justice Kagan's dissent does a brilliant job of telling mm-hmm. it like it is. Stating publicly that Alabama's elections are unquestionably suffused with obvious and overt appeals to race, quote unquote. Kagan's dissent picks two examples Mo Brooks claiming the Democrats were waging a war on whites, and Roy Goddamn Moore, the horse, right? The horse guy, (laughs) saying that civil rights amendments, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th amendments to the Constitution, he swore an oath to uphold and defend and all that, that those quote, completely tried to wreck the form of government that our forefathers intended, meaning whites only. And yeah, to the extent that our forefathers also had uh, slaves. uh, uh, (laughs) Yeah, they tried to wreck that. They tried to wreck that. Uh, And I have to say, Andrew, I I know Roberts is moving right. If I were Roberts, I would retire from this shit show tomorrow. I'd be like, look, 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 I'm with you on a lot of this stuff, but I got to get the fuck out of here.
3: I." That's uh, you're the first person to say that. And I I want to say that's not as uh, far fetched as it sounds. Right. Mm -hmm. When I've tried to figure out what motivates John Roberts, I have long said, right, we we call it words like institutionalist or whatever. I have long said, yeah, John Roberts does not want his grandkids to read about the most shameful Supreme court in American history. And he knows he's about to preside over that shit show. He knows you can't corral these Trump judges. You can't stop Sam Alito and Clarence Thomas and the new gang from just riding as far to the right as you could possibly imagine. There is no way to preserve your legacy. If he were to do that again, There is zero chance that this would happen. I don't want to say zero that there's, you know, every every molecule in his body could quantum shift to the left. Who knows? Right. Like I I do not want to say that this is a a likely possibility, but I think you're onto something in that if you really want to be the kind of person that is revered in the history books. Like, oh my God, the the way that, that the media is salivating over Roberts, occasionally writing a good decision. If he were to retire, I, they would put him on Mount Rushmore. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. I love yeah it. And,
0: it, and it's also, you know, I mean, there is a non-zero chance, but it's very, very, very slim, but it's not just his legacy too, right? It's that he, from what I've read, and I'm not a Supreme court expert by any means, Mm, um, don't
3: don't sell yourself short
0: <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh but uh you know i think he also is very he's bristling at how politicized the court is becoming he doesn't like a politicized court i think is is uh, he doesn't like something.
3: it yeah being out in the open like that out <laughs> yeah,
0: in the open yeah. right you're, publicly politicized. you're supposed to
3: say the quiet part quiet um yeah yeah exactly. I, I, I agree with all of that i, yeah, I would add just just one more i want to pull out that pin from earlier oh, um yeah. Related to the shadow docket, uh, and that is the activist Roberts courts disturbing precedent of granting certiorari before judgment. And they always seem to be in these political cases. So let me unpack that a little bit. So not only should this court have left the injunction in place. They should have waited for the ordinary appellate process to run its course. Right. Instead, they granted certiorari before judgment. That means before the Fifth Circuit could even take up the case and kind of give its first level legal review. Um, And the reason to do that is to more quickly entertain radical arguments about jingles, maybe even trying to invalidate Section two of the Voting Rights Act itself you know, following on the the, the Shelby County versus Holder decision. Um, The only reason to take this case that quickly is because you're champing at the bit to change the law. And uh, it is. Let me explain how unprecedented this is. Before 2019, in the previous 30 years, the Supreme Court granted this kind of certiorari before judgment three times. Right. And one of them was a very unique. All three of them were very unique fact patterns. Right. Since 2019, they have granted certiorari before judgment 15 times.
0: And I'll, you know what else is interesting to uh, Andrew? And I just want to bring this up. I was scrolling through Twitter and you know, Joyce Vance. Right. <laughs> Birmingham. Right. So this this is, this is her home turf here. She says it's also of note, one of the most interesting things here, is that after the three-panel ruling, no one in Alabama, the legislature, they didn't hire anybody, they didn't make any moves like they were going to need to redraw the maps, they didn't do shit because they yeah. knew, they knew the that the shadow docket in. was going to come through for them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, all these hot-button right-wing political issues, DACA, affirmative action, 14th Amendment, citizenship, uh, so-called religious liberty issues, uh, abortion, uh, and pending in 2022 affirmative action. Each and every one of these represents a right-wing court so eager to make new law, I can't even wait to overrule uh, a circuit court of appeals. That's just... Uh, just calling balls and strikes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry to start you all off with a bummer. On that news, though, we'll be right back after this break to discuss Trump fundraiser Tom Barrick. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give.
3: Welcome back. As Allison teased before the break, we are back to talking about scumbags in service of the former guy. So in this case, it is... Trump fundraiser Tom I've always said Tom Barack. is it Barrack? I don't It's Barrack like it's living Barak. in the
0: Barracks, yeah. All
3: right, well, we'll call him Tom Barrack then. He was indicted in July of 2021 on seven counts, so two under 18 USC section 951 for failure to register as a foreign agent of the United Arab Emirates and five you're very familiar with this, 18 USC section 1001 false statement counts in connection with uh, Barrack's June twentieth, twenty nineteen, voluntary interview with the DOJ, and you know, put the proverbial pin in that one.
0: Mm, yes. So uh, Barrick here, he—I mean, this this was a pretty cut and dry case, although the the previous DOJ sat on it, and that's going to be part of the argument, and we'll get into that in a minute, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, he was also at the head, of, worked with Gates, Rick Gates, uh, at, at on top of the inaugural committee, the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I've talked to Stephanie Winston Walcott about that. And there's been several stories about what went on in there. But that's not about this. That This case isn't about the inaugural. This is just about his getting stuff done for the United Arab Emirates uh, and saying, hey, I was just being a cool guy. I'm just a citizen. I wasn't a foreign agent. You can't call me a foreign agent. And, uh, and so here we are. And he's got a buddy, a very young buddy who lives with him named Grimes, who's 28 years old. And uh, and then there's also a third guy, uh, who's on the lamb, right? He's 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 a UAE guy, and so they haven't been able to f- to find him. But at the end of the day, this motion to dismiss strikes me as, uh, and and I sent this to you, Andrew, because I was actually kind of impressed. I mean, it's still <laughs> it's still terrible, but but it's not in crayon. I guess we're so used to going over like Sidney Powell filings and and uh, motion filings from these January 6th folks and Trump's legal team and the Kraken Strike Force, that, you know, when a bazillionaire gets to hire a really good lawyer, he put out some well-written shit. And so I, I wanted to ask you if we could go over this today because I wanted your thoughts on at least how well-written it is and that there are actual arguments in here that make sense and connect from one end to the other, but I still don't think these arguments would hold up or that this motion has a snowball's chance. Yeah,
3: and, and I... Agree with that assessment, and I want to sort of hold off judgment in terms of whether it has greater than the proverbial snowballs chance. I, it, this is a competently written legal brief uh, that uh, plays into, I think, uh, uh, one... It plays into one decent argument.
0: One... I, think, I think I know the one decent yeah. argument. <laughs> one, think...
3: one reach of an argument and one thing that we're going to love talking about. So let's break it down. Mm-hmm. 18 U.S.C. 951. I'm going is... to
0: write down what I think you're what you okay, think the yeah. good argument is. And then, and then we, hold we'll it up see. like yeah. a piece of paper. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: All right. So <laughs> 18 U.S.C. 951 says whoever acts as an agent of a foreign government without prior notification to the attorney general is. Uh, if required, shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than ten years or both. But I think it's fair to say that the law regarding when you're an agent is reasonably unsettled, right? And and Beric points to the Bijan Kian case for help, right? And Kian, if you've forgotten, was partners with insurrectionist criminal scumbag Michael Flynn. Uh, and by the way, uh, Kian was also a secret unregistered lobbyist for Turkey, and he was convicted under 951 in 2019. Then he moved for an acquittal by the court, uh, which was then granted at the district court level, overturned by the Fourth Circuit in March of 2021, which then reinstated his conviction and his sentence. Right. So note that that's not a holding that helps Barrick, Right. It, because the Fourth Circuit upheld a conviction under 951, not reversed one. Right. But Barrick does have a decent argument. And if you read that opinion, starting at page 538, it says to fall within 951's ambit, a person must do more than just act. In parallel with a foreign government's interests or pursue a mutual goal, an agent agrees to operate subject to the direction or control of that government. And Barrick's argument is basically that the UAE had no direction or control over him, so he couldn't have been their agent and therefore didn't have to register.
0: Mm, I got it wrong if that's what you thought the strong argument was. I I think
3: that that's an it, 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 I think that that's the strongest of the three arguments. I know which one you've put on the paper because it's the one I can't wait for us to get to and I just don't know how to evaluate the the, the probabilities around what I suspect is written on your piece of paper.
0: Yeah. So okay. hold
3: on to it. Don't show it yet. All
0: mm-hmm. right, I will. I will. Now, the US of course has to weigh in on on that issue, yeah. right? The whole 951 issue. But what about right. the 1001 statements? Uh, he, the, w- the way I read it, uh, Barrick is arguing the Department of Justice had an obligation to record his interview so that there's some kind of objective record backstopping the 302 summaries that form the basis for these false statement charges and counts three through seven. This argument came up a lot in connection with the Mueller investigation, <laughs> and they do <laughs> point to a DOJ policy in Section 9-13.001 that creates a presumption that custodial statements will be electronically recorded. That's if you're a target. And encourages the recording of witness interviews whenever the presumption doesn't apply, right?
3: Yeah, that's all true. But I think this argument's weaker, even though it is a favorite of the Trump set, right? So the elements of a, of a Section 1001 offense are that the government must prove that the defendant, one, knowingly and willfully, that's a high bar, two, made a materially false, fictitious or fraudulent statement. That's what this speaks to is comparing the statement, right? Three, in relation to a matter within the jurisdiction of a department or agency of the United States, right, has to be relevant. And four, with the knowledge that it was false or fictitious or fraudulent. So the motion cites that policy, but admits because it has to, again, because it's well written from a legal perspective, that there is no per se rule that requires a verbatim transcript of an interview or a recording as a predicate to bring an 18 U.S.C. 1001 charge. And I would point out that, look, lots of these testimonial crimes like perjury are often established on the basis of testimony about testimony, right? What one person says Tom Barrick said, right? since the government still bears the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt, you could raise the lack of a recording as an evidentiary issue at trial, right? Rather than on a mm. motion to dismiss. And that's where I think the judge is likely to come out on this one. Again, we'll see what the U.S. says in response. But
0: but you know, not yeah. a bad idea to put it in there, you know. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Might as well, you know, I mean, if you're yeah. going to put these other things, uh, you know, apart from the 951 argument. Now, of course, the real elephant in the room is that Barrick's allegedly false statements were made in 2019, and he wasn't indicted until July of 2021. Barrick puts that front and center on page 33, alleging the government waited two years, long after memories of the precise language used during the interview would have faded. That's what a 302 is for, dumbass. Yep. (laughs) Uh, To charge Mr. Barrick with multiple felony counts, premised on allegedly false statements. Now we know why that happened. (laughs) <laughs> because yeah, <laughs> if line prosecutors had recommended a prosecution of Tom Barrick back in 2019, Bill Barr obviously <laughs> would have shut that shit down. Yeah.
3: So, as you might suspect, we think the last guy to occupy the office I now inhabit was a crook is... Not something that's been well litigated by the DOJ or anyone, really, right? So that that's what kind of makes this a win-win if you're on the side of justice here, right? I, uh, look, don't get me wrong. I would like to see Barrick in jail just on general principles, right? But in the alternative to his motion to dismiss, this is on page 36. He's requested discovery on quote the reasons for the government's extended delay. Fucking sweet. Yeah. And so, yes, Barrick and his lawyers are feigning ignorance here like there are howlers like this delay is even more inexplicable given that the government's actions since mr Barrick's interview do not reflect any apparent concern that he was a foreign agent or national security threat even though he traveled overseas more than a dozen times and continued to have access to the president right right yes because we thought that the entire doj top to bottom was run by a corrupt asshat who was going to protect political appointees and close friends of Donald Trump from getting indicted.
0: Yeah, and if you want those documents, man, hey, bring them out. I would love to see why Barr didn't prosecute. I would love to see. Now, granted, that would probably be under seal and camera, Uh, you know, like because it's a deliberative process or whatever the fuck. Uh, But it would be very interesting to see where anybody comes down on that. And of course, you can see I've written down here on my on my paper.
3: Oh, hold it up. Bar didn't prosecute. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> under uh, if if this is uh, what was the game show where you wrote it down on the piece of paper and. Held it up. Oh, Um, newlyweds. Yeah, newlywed games. (laughs) Under newlywed game rules, I think uh, (laughs) Chuck Woolery would uh, rule on your
0: behalf. (laughs) Legal newlyweds. Bar didn't prosecute. What do you think is the number one argument? In the... Wait. (laughs) (laughs) Now, one other thing that I thought was funny that I wanted to bring up, just just because I thought that this was well written and and spelled correctly with good grammar. Uh, They brought up this thing about the sf-86 they were like look 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 in order to get a government job you got to fill out an sf-86 form it's what you turn in that says all of your disclosures and everything so they can do a background check on you uh first of all we know the background check situation that was going on in in the white house at 2019 so shut up uh but (laughs) the sf-86 and it says and here's here's a mistake actually that the lawyer made this is for all you know national security positions hot you know no, it's not it's for any fucking government employee the file clerk at your v a has to fill out an s f eighty six and they're trying to say that because he listed his contacts with united arab arab emirates united arab emirates on on the s f eighty six that that should just count for uh really telling the government that you have had those contacts if he wasn't trying to hide them at least, maybe that's a good argument uh there, but to substitute an s f eighty six for registering with the department of justice under the foreign agents registration act is to me laughable.
3: Yeah. Their characterization. And I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to ask you about it. Their, their characterization is right in 2017, uh, Barrick submitted an SF 86. This application spanned hundreds of pages and disclosed Barrick's contacts with foreign leaders, including the very UAE individuals referenced in the indictment. Um, it, it is so I think what you're saying is this is just you know a form document everybody has to fill out and so it wouldn't have stood out in the way that you know filling out a a, a standard far registration form would have.
0: Oh, well, not that only right? that, but the if if that if that were enough to satisfy registering as a foreign agent, then the foreign agents registration act would say oh. or included on your sf-86 and you're good yeah. to go uh but the sf-86 does not go to the department of justice it just goes to the agency with which you're applying to so i, I my i'm proudly everyone my sf-86 <laughs> one page long just want everybody to know. One page long SF-86. <laughs> I didn't have to disclose my fucking You're not a, <laughs> you're not a, you're not a foreign agent of uh, <laughs> some. <shit>. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody who's got a hundred page SF-86, maybe don't hire that person. Um, I'm just kidding. There's probably a lot of legit pages in there, I'm sure. But uh, anyway, yeah, I know you, you are required to fill out the SF-86 and also register with the Department of Justice yeah. because they aren't going to lay eyes on that unless you're applying for the Department of Justice. And even then, It's not—the people who review that aren't in the FARA unit and wouldn't be able to make a judgment because it's going to be some GS-9 running through paperwork looking for red flag terms or whatever. It's not going to be, you know—that's what the background check is for when you hand everything over to the FBI. So— Anyway, just wanted to bring that up. No,
3: that 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 is great. And from a legal standpoint, um, we disprefer readings of a statute that would render terms of that statute or the entire thing in nullity. Right. And so if the SF 86 were enough to disclose your foreign contacts, then you wouldn't have a fair registration. Right. The the entire statute would be pointless because, as you pointed out, everybody to whom that applies would also have filled out said form. So Yeah,
0: and everyone who, we're, who goes to work for the government has to fill out an SF-86, everyone. All right, so uh, with that, I cannot wait to see what the government has to say because their shit's due on February 28th in opposition. So we'll look forward to that, and I can't wait to discuss it with you. And uh, let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with comings and goings. All right. Spy Talk, a podcast at the intersection of intelligence, foreign policy, national security, and military operations with Jeff Stein and Gene Meserve. That's
1: former CIA Director Leon Panetta.
2: Admiral Carl Schultz, Commandant of the U.S. Coast Guard. Great
1: to have you here, John Seifer. Harold Southers. Jefferson Morley. Admiral Mike Rogers. Chris Whipple. Anthony Clayton. John Mendez. You are a legend. That
2: was the former Secretary General of NATO, Anders Fogh Rasmussen. Frank Figluse, welcome to Spy Talk. Law enforcement agencies are like
3: elementary This
0: is an adapt or fail moment for the intelligence community. I think of these JFK records more as a mosaic.
1: People turn away from the truth, and they believe things that are completely rooted in falsehood. And for me, that is really dangerous. Follow the money. The possibility that
3: al-Qaeda had a stolen nuclear device in Manhattan. Probably some of the skills that make them good intelligence agents also make them fairly efficient as predators. Somebody
1: left active, destructive pipe bombs outside Republican and Democratic Party headquarters, and we don't know who it was.
2: Join us every Thursday for a new episode of Spy Talk, available wherever you get your podcasts.
3: And as we tease before the break, it is time for your favorite segment in mind, comings and goings. And as we said last week, I'm going to keep vlogging this every week until we get there. The biggest coming and going right now focuses on the impending going retirement of uh, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. We haven't gotten any closer to a nominee, at least not in public. But last week, President Biden announced that he was expanding the team, advising him in connection with the nominee. Right Now, this continues the trend post Citizens United, where it is not enough to be the president and control the Senate. You also have to mobilize against the fact that the right wing is about to spend hundreds of millions of dollars, at minimum, possibly billions, to try and demonize whoever that next nominee will be.
0: Yeah, and they have they have plenty of money too, and I'm also concerned a little bit uh, about Luhan, Senator Luhan, having a stroke, going to be out for four to six weeks. Yep. Yep. Uh, and there's there, you know, I mean, I know the Senate is full of young, virile, uh, completely healthy people, um, but no, I, I am very concerned that I mean, we're we're so close to yeah to losing that fifty fifty majority for for many reasons other than the midterms, but. Uh, It's going to be easier, right, um, to do this, to to spend the millions of dollars, get the millions of dollars, in attack, because the nominee will be a black woman. So we welcome aboard some familiar faces who will help run the interference against that barrage. First up, of course, former Alabama Senator Doug Jones, Ah, the reported runner-up for Attorney General. Jones will serve as the Sherpa, (laughs) nomination advisor for legislative affairs. And I love that they use the term Sherpa instead of czar it's so much nicer (laughs) it's so much more dem right can we not call people czars Uh, stop uh bringing in a moderate democrat as part of the plan to help navigate the senate confirmation process he was as you know the first democratic senator from alabama in a quarter century and has a history of trying to be bipartisan so who knows maybe he speaks cinema and mansion although i'm not too worried (laughs) about them Yeah, I I
3: agree with you. I I, I don't think we're going to lose either of them. Uh, But it never hurts to massage their stupid feelings. And, uh, you know, we'll see. Also, joining the team is a blast from the past. If you grew up in the 80s. Legendary African-American activist Minion Moore, uh, who has been in politics longer than most of us have been alive. She was an advisor to the Jesse Jackson presidential campaign in 84, then went on to be deputy field director for my first presidential crush, Mike, the Duke Dukakis and. Um, she then went mainstream in the Bill Clinton administration. She then she went was,
0: number one with yeah. a bullet. With the <laughs> well,
3: I mean to say, she didn't only work for Dukakis, right? Like that's right, not, right. That's, that, that part probably isn't highlighted think, as high on her I think resumes. it's interesting she
0: worked on the Jesse Jackson campaign, too, because I'm wondering if she's the one that gave the green light for him to read Green Eggs and Ham on Saturday Night Live. That'd be fun.
3: Uh, that'd be great. Yeah, The, the, the question is boot. That was a great skit. That so. was so good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. So, uh, yeah, long standing power player in black politics. And she will serve as the nomination advisor for engagement. Right. Her job is liaison to the base to keep them fired up throughout this process, throughout all of the slime and disinformation. And, you know, we haven't even talked about uh, uh, undoubted, you know, Russian meddling again, not conspiratorially, but like. We know from the Senate reports, like this is what Russian troll farms do. They look for key political moments and they just build fake controversy. So mm-hmm. uh, Or they yeah. they
0: take the controversy we create a little bit and then they drive huge and, wedges in there. Yep. To even split us. They they will try to pit us Democrats against one another about these nominees. Mark my words. Yep. And that will happen. <laughs> yes, it absolutely will. Finally, joining the team as nomination advisor for communications is Ben LeBolt. And if you're a poli-sci junkie like we are, you'll recognize him as former national press secretary. He's a guy who's been in communications roles for decades. Dude knows how to talk. He was Obama's Senate press secretary (laughs) and 2008 campaign press secretary. 2008, Obama press secretary for his campaign in 2008. Was that a... Yeah, You know, I don't No one remembers that campaign. Right. Just the only the greatest campaign <laughs> in the history of the universe. Uh, later, deputy White House press secretary. His job is to advise the White House on communications. What a great team they've put together, by the way, yeah. and and messaging right around the confirmation process. And he also served in his role on the teams to confirm Justice Sonia Sotomayor and Justice Elena Kagan. So, you know, he's he's done this. Uh and and you know just keeping with the record of nominating superlatively uh, you know qualified people
3: yeah and and so welcome aboard to the three of them if you were looking and going man these seem like you know long standing party insiders yeah that that's the point right <laughs> These these are the people who are going to be doing the hard work in the trenches. They are not setting policy. So, you know, I don't know what the Jacobin mag hit piece on Ben LeBolt is yet. It's coming. Mm -hmm. uh, But uh, but but feel free. Like these these are the people you want working for you to get the first African-American woman uh, appointed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So, yeah. And and
0: there's going to be those wedges again. I I just just, a reminder specifically between progressives and moderates between who this nominee will be, let's just all agree it's going to be awesome and support whoever it is, no matter what how left you are. I mean, unless you're like super left so that you're right, but you know what I mean.
3: <laughs> I do, I do. So... In addition to that, President Biden is still making federal judicial nominations to help, you know, mitigate the damage of four years of Justin's and Corey's from Donald Trump. Earlier this week, we learned that Stephanie Dawkins Davis would be the president's nominee to the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, Judge Davis would be the first black woman from Michigan to serve on the Sixth Circuit and only the second black woman ever to serve on that court. Judge Davis has served as a federal judge on the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan since December 2019. Previously magistrate uh, in that district from 2016 to 2019. And in case you're wondering, that's a typical path that a white jurist might take, right? And again, Judge Davis had pretty good qualifications to get to the bench in the first place. She was an AUSA for two decades before serving as a magistrate judge.
0: Yeah, I and mean, just absolutely incredible Um, qualifications, too. And finally, President Biden continues to fill out the executive branch, despite Republican efforts to slow walk literally everyone. And today, we learned of two new ambassadors and one continuing appointment. So big hello to Ruben Brigadier. I love saying his name. (laughs) Nominee for ambassador, extraordinary and plenipotentiary. To the Republic of South Africa. And Mary Kay Carlson, nominee as ambassador, extraordinary and plenipotentiary. To the Republic of the Philippines. And thanks for staying To Elizabeth Shortino, currently the acting executive director of the International Monetary Fund, IMF. She's Biden's permanent nominee for the executive director of IMF. So cool.
3: Yeah. Welcome aboard. Glad to see we are trying, despite, you know, massive headwinds to uh, keep this government functioning.
0: Hello. 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 (laughs) What a wonderful word. Hello.
3: Okay, (laughs) I am not going to try and sing, but uh, we'll double down on you.
0: Uh, what movie was that crazy people dudley moore Oh. writing advertisements a... from a from a, a mental hospital
3: that is a deep cut i was not a huge dudley moore fan so
0: <laughs> i just remember him with this Arthur, box of hellos right? you know <laughs> i love it he just has this box of hellos would hand you a hello and then he would sing the hello song and that's all he ever said was hello that's just such a great film all right it's not. It probably holds up terribly. Do <laughs> yeah. oh, you think probably... a Dudley
3: Moore movie from the early '80s to, to holds up well? Yeah, I, I, and I even I called have... it a
0: film, didn't I? <laughs> And uh, that's funny. And it's probably oh. awful, awful uh, for, you know, actual mental health problems. Uh, so, you know, and, and me yeah. having PTSD, I'd probably still watch it and laugh, but also be like, oh, what the fuck?
3: All <laughs> right. M- movie night. We're going to pull a clip from it so that we can use it at the beginning of comings and goings. I'm, I'm totally on board with uh, uh, Dudley Moore singing the hello song. There,
0: It's not Dudley Moore. Fortunately, you don't have to oh, listen okay. to him sing. So it's good. It's better. All right. <laughs> anyway, what a great show. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, thank you again to the new patrons. Um, seriously, it's because of you that I am have no fear pulling this show off Spotify. You know what I mean, Andrew? Yep, uh, I
3: do indeed. We thank you so much, uh, and your support makes the show possible. You know all that. We love doing this, and we love you, and we love you more than everybody else.
0: Absolutely, 100%. All right, until next week, everybody. Thanks. I've been Allison Gill.
3: I'm Andrew Torres.
0: Have a great week.
4: And And this this is
1: is how we win. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis,